I just want you to know that when your youngest daughter graduates, from, your youngest child graduates from high school, and you're two weeks away from hauling all of them off to college, you will not lead that song again. <laughs> so uh, if you'll give me about 15 minutes to go have a good cry. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's good to see you this evening. Uh, I know there's a lot of things that buy for your time. I appreciate that you are here. Uh, it's good to see folks from different places. Uh, good to see the, the folks from Pine Bluff. Uh, uh, I was in a meeting uh, with... Uh, Clarence some years ago, uh, and uh, the second day of the meeting, he started throwing up, and uh, uh, with me sitting next to him in the car, actually, and uh, they've never asked me to come back and preach there again, and uh, I, you know, when you make the local guy sick on the second day, that pretty much throws a damper and everything, uh, so I'm glad to see you guys. I'm glad you finally got over that. Uh, uh, it's good to see the Joneses, good to see Todd, uh, lots, of, lots of folks, uh, familiar faces in the audience. Uh, thank you for being here. I hope that our study tonight will be of some profit to you. Uh, I recognize that uh, this particular study is somewhat limited in scope uh, until you stop and consider that uh, part of the responsibility of a local congregation is uh, the same responsibility that we have as families. And so... Uh, we're going to talk about raising our kids and uh, encouraging them to be godly. And let me say at the very outset, if you've already raised your kids, uh, but if you're a part of a local congregation, your job now is to help everybody else raise theirs. Uh, if you're a grandparent, your job is to help your kids that you've raised raise their kids. And, and if you don't believe that... Uh, that, that, that principle is all over, especially the Old Testament. God doesn't limit His comments to parents, in, especially in the Old Testament. In fact, He talks a good bit about generation to generation to generation. And so I want to encourage you, if, if you didn't know what we were talking about and you're thinking, well, I've already been there and I've done that, uh, look around. Uh, people are asking Tracy, Tracy's my wife, they're, they're asking us, okay, your nest is empty. Emily's going off to college. What are you going to do now? We've got a plan. There are a bunch of kids where, where I preach and where we worship. And we know which ones play volleyball. We know which ones play softball. We know which ones rodeo. And we know which ones are involved in plays. And our plan is to try to give them as much support and attention as we have our own kids. Because I think that's what local churches are to be doing for one another. So I want to encourage you, if you're going, wait a minute, uh, this doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. Turn, if you would, to the 127th Psalm. Uh, when my first child was born, Haley, who was here with me uh, six years ago when, when I was here, uh, we, were, we were back at my wife's uh, home where she grew up in South Alabama. And one of the elders, uh, whose name you would probably know uh, because he has a fairly well-known relative who preaches, he came up to me, and Haley was just a few months old, and, and he said, uh, that, that is one beautiful child you have there, and I'm going to give you a piece of advice whether you want it or not. He said, I know you're a preacher, and I know what your passion is, and I know what your conviction is, and I know what you're about to do with your life. Do not lose the soul of that child because you're trying to save every other soul in the world. And it was some of the best advice that I've ever been given. And the reason is, is that it's based upon the principle that you find stated in the 127th Psalm. The psalmist begins, and this is fairly well known at the beginning, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it, Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so He gives His beloved sleep. Look, behold. Let me offer you a piece of, of, of study advice to you. If you've never recognized this, it should be straightforward. When you read behold in the Bible, you better pay real close attention to what comes after it. Behold, children are an heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is His reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. 
Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but speak with their enemies in the gates. Do you understand what he means when he says children are in heritage from the Lord? But what that means is that is what we inherit from God. And, and when you inherit something, what you receive is something that you haven't earned, that you haven't worked for, that, that technically doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the person that gave it to you. And in this case, we're not talking about something that we have been given because the generation prior or the giver has passed away. We're talking about something that has been given into our trust for a purpose. And as you read through the Bible, what becomes very, very clear is these family relationships that the old covenant revolves around. The, the nation of Israel was, a, was just a big old family. It, it was The Copelands had their family reunion here uh, this, this weekend. Uh, the, you know, the children of Israel were children of Israel. Uh, and there ended up being millions of them, but the reality is it was just a big family, and God always addresses them in that regard. And this idea of family and kinship and brotherhood is something that resonates throughout the Scriptures. And our spiritual relationship with God is probably most poignantly described in the same kinds of terms. We, we are the children of God. Hebrews chapter 2 talks about Jesus bringing many sons to glory. And I am convinced that the way God looks at mankind in general is the way that we look at our children. It explains the the, the, the story of the prodigal son in, in Luke chapter 15 and why God would act the way that He does and why God feels the way that He feels. And that explains a lot of things like the disposition that brings about God's grace and God's mercy and why He's done the things that He has done. I've got a good friend that preaches and he's uh, some years older than me. And when I had my first child, he, he, he came up and said, I'm going to tell you something about... Uh, about parenthood. He, he said, you know, I love my wife. I've loved her from the day I met her, and, 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 and I feel quite certain if I had to lay down my life for her, I would. I, I can't conceive of a, of a circumstance where I would not die for her, but, I, but I'm going to tell you something about my kids. There is no doubt in my mind, there is not the remotest possibility that I would not give myself for them at a moment's notice, and it's not something I would even have to entertain. He said, I love my wife, but there is something about my kids that goes far beyond. And, and I, I understand that. Tracy and I have spent the last 25 years of our life trying to raise our kids. And, and I've tried to do my work, and I've tried to be a part of the local church, and I've tried to be a good husband. But, but, but so much of our life has revolved around our children. And I understand things now that God tells me that I didn't understand before I had kids. Some of you young people there are newly married, that have, don't have kids yet, or your kids are just uh, new and, and, and you're starting in this process, I'm going to tell you, you're going to find insights into the mind of God as a parent that you never had before. Now, I'm going to tell you what all of that ought to do for us. It ought to help us to appreciate how significant is the heritage that God has given us. And it ought to help us to understand that the reason God has given these children to us is exactly what the Hebrew writer is saying when he talks about the Lord coming to bring many sons to glory. Well, why did God tell Adam and Eve to go forth and multiply? You know, that was the first commandment that He gave them. He blessed them and told them to go out and multiply. Well, I think the reason is because every child that's brought into this world is potentially a child that's going to spend eternity with God. And I'm not sure that we necessarily look at it that way. In fact, I, my, my strong suspicion is most of us had our first child uh, just because we were that crazy about the person that we married. And that's just kind of well, what you do. You get married, you have kids, you, 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 you want there to be a fruit of the union. But we don't stop and think that the reason God made it this way is because God's interested in having more kids too. And everyone that we raise right, that lives right, is a child that God gets to spend eternity with. 
And that's our job as parents and grandparents and local churches. All these little kids that are running around, we haven't been given them so that we've got a play thing. I know they're fun to play with, and, and, and you really see this in new parents and grandparents. You never see that in teenagers, because at that point we're just sick and tired of them. We're ready for God to take them back. But, but when they're little, oh, we want to play with them all the time. And when they're grandkids, we want to play with them all the time. And that's all well and good. Please understand, that's not why we have them. We don't have them to relive our youth, to become the athlete that I never was, the musician that I never was, the scholar that I never was, so that we can walk around uh, with our thumbs in our lapels and brag about our kids and how wonderful they are, and somehow or the other that makes us better. That, that's not why we have our kids. We have not been given our children so that somehow or the other we can make a, an impact on the world through them. I, I was galled years ago. I'm a golf fan. Years ago, Tiger Woods' father, when he first started playing professional golf, said that he was going to be more popular than the Messiah, and that's why he was in the world. I'm going to tell you, a parent that's raising a child with that mindset is in for a world of trouble. And in that regard, let me suggest to you, because I think this is a problem in our day, our children are not our God. Parents, you weren't given that child so that you can worship everything that they do. You were given that child to try to get them ready to go back and be with God. Now having said all that, the big question is, okay, so what do I do? Uh, and I'm not an expert, okay? Uh, I'm still in the process of raising my kids. And I'll tell you something that I'm seeing at this point, and this is something that shouldn't have to be said, but uh, is nonetheless important to appreciate, is there's just not any guarantees in this process. I recognize the 22nd, uh, Proverbs 22 tells if you raise up a child in the way that he go, uh, when he's old, he will not depart from it. Uh, but I also recognize the nature of a proverb is not necessarily an absolute and, and, and we may invest 25 years plus of our life trying to raise our children to be godly. They've got free will, and at some point they may decide that they're not going to serve the Lord. And as a parent, that may well be the most devastating thing in the world, but we have to recognize there is that possibility. There just aren't any guarantees. But our job is to do all we can to lead them to the Lord. So here are some biblical principles that I would like to offer to you that, that fall within the instructions that are given to us, whether you want to look at the predominant instruction in the Old Testament, which I think is Deuteronomy chapter 6, or whether you want to look at kind of the predominant instruction in the New Testament, which is Ephesians chapter 6. Fathers, bring up your children in the training of this for the Lord. I, I would propose to you that all of these principles fall within that. And so, if I'm going to try to encourage godliness in my children, here's some things that I see. The first thing, and, and I would say that this probably is the primary thing, and everything else is going to kind of build on this, is uh, as parents and grandparents and members of the local spiritual family, our kids really need to see our faith. Now, now please understand what I mean by that. I don't mean that they need to see that you're just a good churchgoer. Your kids need to see that you are living a life that is sacrificed to God because you trust everything He has told you. We talked a little bit last night about the distinction between belief and faith. Your kids know that you believe in God. The question is, what do they see when Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and mentions the faith that was in Timothy, and Paul says, first was in your, your mother and your grandmother. It was in Lois and Eunice. And, and I'm convinced the same kind of trust was within you. Well, Timothy's father wasn't a Christian. But, but, his, but his mother and his grandmother were people who didn't just have some conviction about who God was. Clearly, they lived lives of trust in God. And, and I want to propose to you that's something we need to commit ourselves to. 
If I asked your kids, if I pulled them off aside and said, are your parents a living sacrifice to God? Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beg you, brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. If, if somebody asked your kids that, would they say, oh, without a doubt, everything my parents do, they do because of who they are as Christians. Everything about their character, everything about their job, every, every decision that they make, they are the living manifestation of, of Matthew 16, 24. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What would they say? But I tell you, that's a pretty sobering picture. A sobering question to have to, to, to grapple with. Because I, I, I think for a lot of folks, Christianity is a, a, an occasional activity. It, it's, it's important... But as we talked about Sunday morning when we were talking about seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, I'm not sure but what it is just a, a pigeonhole in the roll-top desk of life. My, my granddad had a big roll-top desk when I was a kid. And it was the most cool thing in his house. And he had found it in the back of the store he bought as a hardware store. I have no idea how old it is. It sits in my front room today. And had all these pigeonholes. And I've thought how many times that's a, a really good representation of the way that we look at life. You know, I've got my family life and I've got my job and I've got my recreation uh, and, and, and I've got my uh, extended family life and, and then I've got this and I've got this. And, and in one of those pigeonholes is I've got my religion. And we tend to think sometimes of life that way. And I'm going to tell you, serving God's got to be the desk. And everything else falls into place in that. And our kids need to see that in our lives. They need to understand that my faith is what drives everything I do and every decision that I make. And it needs to be attractive to them. Is your service to God a, a ball and chain? Have you said this week, man, this is a terrible week for a gospel meeting. School starting this week. We're having to to, to, to finish up stuff at the end of the month or the beginning of the month this week. I really need to be down at the office. Or, or, the, or the fish are biting on Millwood. I really need to be down there this week. Or there's a big deal going over here. There's a big deal going over there. Or there's a Harry Potter marathon on TV. Whatever it is. <laughs> and you come in in the evening and go, we got to go to services tonight. Pick up that ball and chain so it's not so heavy. We, come on, guys, get ready. we got to go to services. If we don't go, Jacob's calling, the elders are calling. I mean, you, you ask yourself, if that's the way you're portraying spiritual activities, we have the opportunity to get a little something more, to be with the, the, the spiritual family more, to talk about the gospel, even if the preaching's no good, to at least come and sing together and pray together. What are your kids getting out of that from you? Is, is serving God attractive? Does it make your life better? Does it make you content? You know, one of the reasons that God chose Abraham is because He said, I know that Abraham will rear his children in righteousness. And that's impressive to me. There's a lot of things about Abraham we don't know. And Abraham, uh, you know, he made some iffy calls in his life. But when God looked at him, he knew that it was a man that was going to trust the Lord. He was going to live all his life, according to Hebrews chapter 11, intense, wandering about in the promised land because he trusted God that after this life he was going to have to live in a city that has foundations and he was going to raise his kids that way. And Abraham waited a long time to have that child. If anybody deserved to spoil his kid rotten, it was Abraham and Isaac. But he's willing to kill him because he trusted God would raise him. Do my kids see that? In the 78th Psalm, the psalmist, uh, this is one of those generation passages that I mentioned in the introduction. The, the, the psalmist, uh, in the very beginning of the psalm, encourages us in regards to the 
the example that we set for our children and, and, and teaching them, not hiding uh, the precepts of God from our kids and telling them in generations to come. When you get over to verse 36 of, of the 78th Psalm, the psalmist says, speaking of the children of Israel in their, in their relationship with their spiritual father, they flattered him with their mouth, they lied to him with their tongue, their heart was not steadfast with him, they were, nor were they faithful in his covenant. Now I'm going to ask you something. If you're living a hypocritical life in your service to God, nobody at Fairview may ever know that. But your kids will, won't they? My kids have seen me at my worst. They have seen me lose it. And I mean lose it. Sometimes over important things and sometimes when I had absolutely no business losing it. And if we're not honest with them and go back and apologize and let them see repentance after our flaws because they're going to see the flaws. And then what we're going to say about us is we're just hypocrites and I don't want to live my life that way. So the question is, do they see your faith? Building on that, let me suggest to you that they need to see that spiritual matters in your home are the priority. Now we talked about that a little bit yesterday, and I don't want to belabor the point, but at the same time, I, as, a, as a father, as a husband, as the one who is responsible for, for setting standards in my home, let me suggest to you that your kids need to see this and they need to see this young and often. That, that we are people who, risen with Christ, seek those things that are above, Paul says to the Colossians. That our mind is set on things above and not on things of this earth. And I'll tell you the way that that happens. It, it happens first and foremost because... Meeting with the Lord is a pro with the Lord's people is a priority for us. We we're not going to miss worship services, and we're not going to miss Bible classes, and we're not going to miss gospel meetings. And I understand there are times when that's very difficult to do. But you take a kid that's three or four or five years old, and they're starting soccer, and we're not going to the gospel meeting because three-year-old, four-year-old soccer practices tonight. You know what your kid's going to grow up learning? That soccer practice is more important than the gospel meeting. And yeah, I understand that steps on some toes. But folks, I've been there. Most of the people in this audience who've raised their kids have been there. And you look around. I, I can point to folks that worship with us whose children are not faithful. And there may be a myriad of reasons, but one of the things that I have seen consistently is kids who are taught that other things are as important as spiritual things do not grow up being spiritually minded people. There's no guarantee they're going to make good decisions. But if you are leading them down the wrong path when they're three or four or five years old about what's important in life, what do you expect from them? And, and, and we don't like that very much. But, but I want you to remember that God demands preeminence. And, and if you're serious about serving the Lord, that's what you're trying to do. Why would you not teach your children that? Well, now we're back to there are playthings and there are gods and they run our life. No, they don't. You run their life. You get them started down the path of service to God and you start teaching them now what the priorities are. In Luke chapter 14, and to me this is... Uh, of all the parables of Jesus, this is probably the one that steps on my toes the most. Look, Jesus tells a story. He is engaged in a discussion during a meal with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he's already warned them about their pride and their arrogance and who's seated at the best chief seats at the table. And as they're having this discussion in verse 15... One of them said to the Lord, Blessed is he who eats bread in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. This is Luke 14, and I'm in verse 16. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are ready. And all with one accord they began to make excuses. The first said, I bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. 
So the servant came and reported these things to the master, and the master of the house, being angry, sent to his servant, go out quickly in the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. The servant said, Master, it's done as you commanded. There is still room. The master said to the servant, go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. I say to you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. And I recognize that this is aimed, at least I think it is, predominantly at this Jewish mentality that, that says, I'm a child of God, and therefore I can just pretty much neglect service to God. Everything's okay between me and God because I'm a child of Israel. But, but the application for me is, there are just a lot of temporal things that in and of themselves are not sinful that can get in the way of my service to God. There's not anything wrong with going and buying a piece of property. In fact, you would be a fool if you went and bought it and you hadn't seen it. So here's at least a man going, hey, I, I, before the sale goes through, I need to check this out. And if you're a farmer and you're buying oxen, you, you know, it's, it's like going down to the John Deere place and saying, well, I'm going to buy a tractor. I've never been on it. I've never seen it. I don't know what it can do. I don't know how big it is. I don't know how strong it is. Uh, but I'm going to buy it because it's exactly what I need. No, I'm going to go down there and check it out first. And then the guy that, notice the one that says that he's married, he doesn't offer any excuses. He just said, I can't come. Well, I understand that too. And none of those things are wrong. What's the reaction of the master? Do you pay much attention to that in the parable? He's angry. We don't like to think of God that way, but it's very clear that the master in the parable is representing God. And God's looking at all of these wonderful provisions He's made for His people, and His people don't have time to come and enjoy His provisions because they've got these other things to do that... I'm going to tell you, you can have the best piece of property in the state of Arkansas. In 70 or 80 years, you're going to be dead, and that piece of property is going to do you no good. And you can say the same thing about the yoke of oxen, and you can say the same thing about your earthly relationships. And the point is, there is a priority to the blessings of God that a wise man understands. And as fathers especially, and mothers, our kids need to see that that's what's important in our life. It's more important than your job. It's more important than your retirement plans. It's more important than your vacation it's more important that everything that you think is a big deal in your life and your kids, above everybody else, recognize where your priorities are. So, secondly, we need to make spiritual matters a priority. And it, need, and it needs to be consistent in our home. Thirdly, and all these build back on this trust in God. If, if you trust in God, the rest of this is going to fall into place. Let me suggest to you that we need to show and demand in our homes respect for God's Word. Um, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, when the children of Israel are going into the promised land, and, and it's interesting some of the things that you find in Deuteronomy because uh, Moses is about to be gone from them, and within a generation Joshua is going to be gone, and there's not really going to be a central figure that's leading the children of Israel from an earthly standpoint. They're gonna, God is supposed to be the central figure. But basically, they're all going to be scattered to their inheritance, and it's going to really be up to the local family, the local tribe, the local community to, to promote godliness in the land of, of, of Canaan. And, and, and so in Deuteronomy chapter 6, as Moses is about to send them off, in verse 4, he says, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words that I command you will be in your heart. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and there's frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so it will be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities you didn't build, houses full of good things you didn't fill, hewn out wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you've eaten and are full, beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. 
What God demanded of them is that you're going to have to talk to them about God. And, and, and the only way to really talk to them about God is by talking to them about God's Word because that's where we learn about God. And I recognize that's not always a popular thing and God's Word's kind of been put on the back shelf in the general religious world in which we live. But the reality is we don't know anything about God that He hasn't revealed to us other than what nature tells us about there being a greater power that clearly has a sense of beauty and organization about them. What have you taught your children about God? What do they understand? What do they understand about the importance of God's Word? We want them to have faith, to trust God, right? As a parent, is that what you want from your kids? Shake your head yes, even if that's not the right answer for you right this minute. Now, how are you going to teach them to have trust in God? They trust you because they have experience with you, right? If you tell them, clean up your room and I'll, I'll, I'll take you down to Dairy Queen and buy you a blizzard. Well, they clean up the room, you take them to Dairy Queen and buy them a blizzard, they, they learn that you can be trusted. And, and, and we develop trust in people because we have experience with them. We see when they tell us the truth, we see when they don't tell us the truth, we see when they reason through us, with us properly, we, we see when they mislead us, and, and we put trust in people based upon our experience with them. Do you understand when Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 and Seth says, faith comes by hearing the Word of God, that that's exactly what that means? You, you know why we need to read our Bibles? So we'll learn who God is. So we'll understand how He thinks and how He works and what He does and what He has done and what He's going to do and what His promises were and what His promises are. So we can trust Him. So we learn to believe Him. Now, now you tell me. Are you introducing your children to the Word of God? That's where the power of salvation is. That's where we learn who He is. Jesus demands discipleship, which demands adherence, which demands understanding what God wants and doing what God wants. Have you, have you ever spanked your child for doing wrong, but you never told them what they were supposed to do to begin with? Come here, junior. Lay over the bed. You're getting punished. You disobeyed me. Dad, what did I do? Well, never mind. It doesn't matter. Dad, you never told me to do anything. Still doesn't matter. I'm going to punish you. Your child's going to look at you and go, you've you got to be kidding. You're going to punish me because I didn't do something and I didn't know what it was supposed to be? How are they going to learn about serving God and having faith in God if you don't introduce them to God's Word? I mean, I'm going to tell you where this becomes real practical in life, and we dealt with this in, in, in our home. My kids are, are, are fairly studious. Well, two of the three. I won't tell you which one's the lazy student. And the thought of them going to school without having done their homework, uh, it's just reprehensible to them, which is great because I don't have to push that. And we live in an age where academics and uh, education is significant. You can't get into certain schools unless you've got a certain GPA or an SAT score, an ACT score, an MCAT, or whatever it is. And so, hey, Junior, have you done your homework? Get in there and do your homework. I understand it's the first grade, but you're never going to get into Arkansas if you don't do your first grade homework. You can probably miss the second grade homework and get in at Arkansas, but that's another argument. I'm sorry. That was a joke, okay? That was a joke. First preacher ever be stoned in Arkansas. But, but, but we, we understand that that's important to us. It's important for their educational future. It's important in our society because we're an educated society, and we push that with our kids. I, don't, I, I know very few parents who are good parents who don't push that with their kids. Do you do that with their Bible class? Do you start on Monday? Hey, have you got your Bible class lesson done for Wednesday night? We might ask them on Wednesday evening at supper. It's 6 o'clock, we're eating, we're leaving at 6.15. Hey, did you get your Bible class lesson? Hey, that's, that's a priority. No, not if you're not waiting. If you're waiting until 
on Wednesday evening to ask them that question, they know full well it's not a priority. And, and that's, that's a hard thing to grapple with, isn't it? Because we don't necessarily see the result of studying our Bible today. We know if we don't do our homework, we may mess up on tomorrow's quiz. And that, that, that short-term versus long-term thinking for a parent can be very challenging. But, but I'm going to tell you, folks, we need to make sure our children understand that we can't call Him Lord, Lord without doing what He says. That if we continue in, our, in His Word, that's when we are His disciples. And you can't do that if you don't know His Word. And if they don't see you doing your homework for Bible class, don't expect them to find it important for them to do theirs. You know what that demands of us as parents? Turn off the TV, get off your cell phone, shut down the computer, get off your iPad, and start studying your Bible so that your kids will see that. One of my vivid memories of my childhood when I was a kid is that if you went in at bedtime, I can still see my dad as a young man laying in his bed, reading his Bible every night every night. And what an impact that made on me. So, folks, it's, it's our job to show and demand reverence for God's Word. To show them why it's important to come to a gospel meeting and talk about what God has to say. And, and, and in that regard, let me suggest the very natural thing that comes from that, and this would be point four if you're keeping score is that we need to talk to them about things that are spiritual in nature. That, that is the point of Deuteronomy chapter 6, by the way. Um, and and this, this is something I have found interesting because I think there's a lots of ways that you can go about doing this. You, you know, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses doesn't tell the children of Israel, I want you to sit down uh, once in the morning, once in the evening, and have a Bible study and a devotional with your children. Uh, and, and I think there may be some reasons for that. I recognize that uh, Ephesians 6 says we're to bring them up in the, in the training and the discipline of the Lord. The question is, how do you go about best accomplishing that? When Tracy and I first started dating, her family, from the time that she was little, their, their, their parents would get them up at 5.30, I think 5.30, every morning. They had an intercom in their house, and we were dating, and I had gone to visit. First time I was in their home, and I'm in the upstairs middle bedroom. 5.30 in the morning, this, this voice comes across the intercom. All right, everybody downstairs for devotional. And I thought, what? So I stumbled down there, and here's Tracy and, and her brothers and sisters that were still home. And they're all sitting around the living room with these horrible scowls on their faces. And Pop, bless his heart, he would work and work. And my father-in-law was an excellent Bible student. And he always had something good to say. And, and I guarantee you, I promise you, 90% of what he said, they have no conscious memory of. But do you know every one of my brothers-in-law get their kids up at 6 o'clock every morning and have a Bible study with their kids? And every one of them that are grown have faithful children. And if they didn't remember all of the individual lessons, what they remembered was spiritual things are important things to talk about. Now, Tracy and I don't do it that way. Our time is at the supper table. Mainly because I get up and leave to go to the office before they're all up. But we eat supper together every night. And, and we talk about life, what's happening in school, what's happening at work, what's happening in the community. And my job is to make spiritual applications. And my kids have laughed at me for years. They, they call them life lessons. Well, you know, here's this happened at school. Well, I, you know, that, that just really goes to Paul's admonition to the Corinthians about evil communications and, and how that can have an influence. And so I'd preach for a little bit and they'd sit over and drink tea and roll their eyes at each other. 
But, but we've talked about spiritual things and life from a spiritual perspective from the time I can remember with our kids. That's the way we chose to do it. And, and, and I hope it's been effective for them. At this point, they are all godly young women, and I'm very proud of them. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. If we're not talking to them about God and how God does things and how we're supposed to react to His Word, if we're not, if we're not as the 119th Psalm tells us, glorifying God and rejoicing and reading about Him and meditating upon His things. I mean, they can tell that Tracy and I think about spiritual things and look at life from a spiritual way. In fact, somebody pulled into a parking space in front of me at Walmart just the other day, uh, and and I started to roll down the window and say, you're going to lose your soul for that right there. (laughs) You know, that's spiritual thinking. (laughs) It's really not what I had in mind at the time, but nonetheless. But, but you, hopefully as Christians, that's the way we're looking at our life, is it? Are you making your decisions in your business based upon spiritual perspectives? Are, are you making your decisions about where you're, where you're going to live based upon spiritual things? Are you thinking about where you're going to go worship and what you're going to be involved in with the local church based upon your spiritual growth? And, and what, what are the best prospects? Do you think about God and how He looks at your life? And then do you talk about those things to your children? Because the Lord says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, and out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So do your kids know that you think about God and spiritual things all the time? And, and if they have parents that talk to them about God, what that's going to say is this is what's important to mom and dad. And what grows naturally out of that, point number five, is providing a focus that's not on this world. I I don't care what happens in the next election. I I don't care. Is my life potentially going to change based upon the next congressional election, senatorial election, presidential election, Governor election, mayor election, it could. But my king's still sitting on his throne. My responsibilities to the Lord are not going to change. Politics is uh, it's just an earthly thing. So I don't worry about it too terribly much. And, and there's a lot of things in life that I'm convinced Christians, of all people, need to approach that way. You know, what about my retirement? Well, we talked about that Sunday morning, about not laying up treasures on the earth and making the kingdom a priority in our lives. I'm going to tell you, your kids are going to learn if you think counterculturally. If your mind is, as is described of of Abraham in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, uh, not upon the things of this earth or a home here, but a continuing city, a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God, uh, where, where life is really about what happens after this world. And if that's the way that you live your life, good things are going to be better and bad things are going to be better. One, a lady that used to worship with us, who's Debbie, I'm sure, wasn't 60 yet, maybe right at it. She died yesterday morning. And... Uh, That was kind of a downer. But you know what? Debbie loved the Lord, served the Lord. And and that's okay. It's going to be okay. We can can handle that. Somebody has cancer. That's okay. We can handle that because they love the Lord and they serve the Lord and they're not living for this life. And if they die from cancer, well, you're going to die from something. What's important is are you ready to die? And are we living our life, folks, and telling our children that our focus is elsewhere? Our citizenship is in heaven. What we're living for is what happens after this. Have we embraced Ecclesiastes? That you are not going to be satisfied in this life. Justin, if if you never ate pork barbecue again in the state of Arkansas, every meal was beef, you still wouldn't be satisfied. I got one for you. If Arkansas wins the national championship in every major sport, next year you're going to be dissatisfied again. That's what our kids need to see in us. And, 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 and because of that, 
anything that stands between us and that goal needs to be abhorrent. I'm going to tell you, this is the one I struggle with the most as a parent. Because my children's attitudes about certain things are different than my attitudes about certain things. I grew up in a world where certain things were just not accepted in our society. Homosexuality was not accepted across the board in our society. My children do not believe that homosexuality is, is right. They will tell you very quickly it's sinful. But their attitude about it is much more accepting of it because it's more accepted in our society. And, and I'm going to tell you one of the things that I think as parents that is hard to do for us in a politically correct environment is to try to help our kids see that sin is abhorrent to God. And it doesn't really matter what it is, whether it's homosexuality or whether it's adultery or whether it's pornography or whether it's pride or dishonesty or immodesty or intemperance or impatience. These things are abhorrent to God. And Satan's real good at making them acceptable. And, and so, our kids are going to feed off of our attitudes about that stuff, folks. It's a big deal when sin is involved in the lives of people. And we need to make it a big deal. And our kids need to see, out of reverence for God, God is a God who is both good and severe. And God is a God who will condemn people to eternal condemnation, damnation, destruction, everlasting fire and brimstone because they do not reverence their origin or their maker in our kids' need to understand that. And that's hard. And then let me finally say, I'm out of time, so let me just mention this in passing, and I've mentioned it several times. You can fill in the blanks. We need to make sure we're surrounding them with God's people. Not just moral people. God's people. If you're a member of this congregation, your kids need to see this group of people as the folks that care about them more than anyone in this world and the folks to whom they belong. Not the school, not the ball club, not whatever recreation they're involved in. This needs to be home. And please remember that just because somebody out there in the world is moral, that doesn't mean that they're godly. It doesn't mean that they're serving the Lord, right? It doesn't mean that they have your child's best interests at heart. Uh, We've had good influences on our kids in the world. We've had some good coaches. We've had some good teachers. We've had some good administrators. But they are not people that are trying to serve God. And while they may uphold some of the principles we're trying to teach, and I'm glad my children respect them. I want my children to look up to Mark and Elaine Banks and John, Tom, and Carolyn Day and David and Mary Totino uh, and all these other folks that are part of the church where I preach who are getting up every day and going out in the world and being godly because they love the Lord. I want my kids to see those people as their heroes and their family. But they're not going to get that unless they get that from me and Tracy. If I keep the local church at arm's length, so will my kids. If I don't involve myself in the work of the local church, neither will my children. If I don't make the congregation of which I am a part, the people that I love dearly, that I would sacrifice the most for, that are the priority of my relationships, then my kids are never going to embrace the concept of fellowship as it is portrayed in the New Testament. Now, I know that's a bunch of stuff, folks. Everything we've said goes back to the first point. Do not come to me after service and say, well, why don't you just make the first point and leave it alone? Touche. Do my kids see that I trust God? I've watched my kids as they're leaving home. Two of them so far have gone off to school down in Florida. They're a thousand miles away from me. 
My middle one called me last year and said, Dad, I was just in a wreck. And I tell you, your heart sinks. I couldn't have got to her if I wanted to. Fortunately, there was no injuries. Everything was okay. The, the thought of something bad happening to my children is the most horrid thing I can imagine. It, it just is. I can't imagine spending eternity in heaven knowing that they're spending eternity in hell. I don't know how the Lord's going to deal with that circumstance. But as a man who's been given three arrows from God, I hope that Tracy and I have done a competent job of pointing them back to the Father. My life will be a failure if I didn't save or help save those three little girls. That's why God gave them to me. Please be serious about raising your kids, about helping them to learn to be godly. Thanks so much for your attention. I apologize for the time. I hope the significance of this will make it up to you. And I'll make it up to you tomorrow night, I promise, because I'm only going to preach about five minutes, okay? <laughs> Uh, if, 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 if you need to make some things right with the Lord, we don't want to end this evening. I, I recognize the lesson's not really prompted in that direction. But if you're not a Christian, you need to obey the gospel. This is as good opportunity as any that you're going to have. Don't leave here tonight without taking care of your relationship with God. And, and if you're not being faithful and you need to make some things right, we, we, we want to offer that opportunity. So we invite you to come together while we stand and while we stand.